Hi, I'm The Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is The Property Funder Podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Well, welcome, Dimitri Zapjala, or DZ, uh, as you're more commonly known. Uh, good to see you. Um, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about your business and um, yeah. Yeah, what, what the business that you run does? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, for the invite, firstly, Michael. Uh, so yeah, I'm Dimitri Zapjala, uh, DZ, or many different iterations over the years. DZ's the one I'm, I'm pleased has landed. Uh, I am the Managing Director at Avonmore Capital. Uh, we are a development and bridging lender, predominantly um, helping SME, UK-based developers, um, develop and refurbish and sell UK property. Brilliant. And um, look, what's your story? How did you get into that line of um the line of business that you're in, you know, what were the steps that you you needed to take to get there? So I, uh, if I go, going all the way back, I'll give you the brief the brief version. Um, I left school uh, at 18, um, having done very poorly at A levels. So I didn't have the opportunity. I didn't think to go to university. So I went straight out to the world of work. Uh, I spent my first 10-ish years working for a. A building society that's now defunct. So that was kind of my first move into uh, finance. Um, I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be in finance. It was more of a, a job that I, I quite liked the look of. Um, I then subsequently spent uh, a very short uh, sojourn in a very different industry for about nine months in the gift industry. Um, and then realized that finance is probably where I belong. Uh, so I spent 10 years working for Octopus in a variety of roles. Uh, more latterly at uh, the real estate business, so I headed up the residential lending team there. Um, and now I've been with Avonmore for just over one year. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got to that. Uh, I, I don't want to undersell the your start um, mm. in industry or in business, um, because if memory serves me correctly, you actually started out as a bank teller. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Uh, yes, so uh, that's true. Yes, yeah, so it was um, a cashier actually was my first, I guess, first proper job. And um, I, I still remember actually, I, I, there was two jobs. I'll say the names because I don't think either exist anymore. So I had a, an offer from the Chelsea Building Society where I ended up working. Um, and I had an offer from uh, the Cheltenham and Gloucester. And the Cheltenham and Gloucester actually paid more. And but I, I went for the Chelsea one um, because it was clearly a sales job, and there was something 
about it. So whilst the role was was technically for all intents and purposes, you know, nine to five, I was a cashier. Um, there was a massive sales part to it, and that was what I guess mainly attracted me to it. Um, and I did I did I did really well. I guess um, I, I started off there. I was an, an assistant branch manager. Um, quite quickly, I was a branch manager in my early twenties, which, and I kind of thought I was Billy Big Balls. I was like, oh, branch manager of Building Society. This is kind of as as good as it gets in the finance world. And I then realised, obviously, there's a big wider world that, that's out there for it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not quite a, a rags to riches kind of story, but uh, you know, undoubtedly, where I where I started out wasn't the traditional way in which I guess a lot of people would. Um, and there probably was actually, I think one of the reasons why I might said in my early years I was I was successful and it's, it's tried to, I've tried to hold it true ever since was I felt I kind of had a point to prove um, coming out of school as I did. I, I knew I was bright um, and I just didn't work very hard at school. That was really as, as simple as that. But it's definitely helped form I guess my work ethic subsequent to that and. Um, so yeah, that that was how it all how it all came. But sales has been the one constant through most most of my career, certainly my early part of my career, that um, I look for above above all else. Well, what what do you think set you apart from you know in those in those bank building society uh, early days? Mm. What do you think set you apart from your other fellow colleagues that enabled you to go and become the assistant branch manager and yeah. so on and so forth? That you know that obviously they're probably. I can imagine that there were some colleagues that might have been there for mm. 5, 10, 15 years who, who, mm-hmm. who wouldn't have risen in the way that you rose probably quite quickly. What, yeah. what was it that set you apart from them that, that gave you that opportunity? Um, I think I just, I, I know I worked harder than most people. That was kind of one of my first metrics I always looked for within myself was looking for um, what others did and just think how I could do that little bit more. Um, I was always very results driven. So if there was a sales target to achieve, I would purposely set my own target. It sounds a bit cliche, but it's true. Over and above what that was, um, I would look around the other branches. I'd see who the best people were at every single uh, of our competitive branches and and try and you know do well from there. And I think I, I was just very good with people. Um, the sort of people we were selling to in those days were were you know retail customers, and I think naturally, I've always been pretty good. Uh, one of my my strengths is that I'm good dealing with a whole variety of types of people, so from all different demographics. Um, I'd like to think I'm naturally quite a likable person, and when you're selling in that sort of environment, that probably was the thing that was the most single most important thing, and yeah people generally bought from me I, I found ways to, to make that happen um, I also though I think in those early years uh, there was also a very humbling experience I went through where I was top dog for the first three or four years and I remember applying for a promotion uh, for another branch to become their manager which was kind of the hierarchy that, that happened and I didn't get the job and the person that got it was somebody who was, was it actually a lower rank and grade than me from another branch and and I remember actually getting in a right old, like mood about it Al- almost an element of who do, who do these people think they are they've totally messed up um, and 
it was it was a very humbling experience actually, and thankfully one that I snapped out of pretty quick. And I still remember going for lunch with the person who actually got the job ahead of me. Um, I looked at her presentation that she'd done, um, almost copied it <laughs> for the next time that came up. And uh, so yeah, that was. I think the first five years of my career, I look at it, I was like, wow, this is going really well. Look how great I am. I'm the best thing. That sort of thing just pulled me straight back down again, um, which was a good learning experience, but not not saying it wasn't that easy to go through at the time. Um, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was, I was going to ask you sort of how you responded to this disappointment. And clearly, you you know, you, you responded to it in a really positive way because you, you looked at the you looked at the sort of the the negatives you know the negative side of things you said right you clearly looked at this this lady's um presentation you're like right okay what can i you 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 know what can i take from it uh what can i take from that um if i'm a you know if, if i'm uh you know an 18 year old um today just left school haven't, haven't had the most successful um haven't had the most successful um uh, school mm. experience um you know what what advice do you have for someone like that because clearly you know you're you're clearly an an inspiration for some of these people mm-hmm. uh to someone like that you know you've you've gone from you know essentially no qualifications at 18 to being the mm-hmm. you know a, a major industry figure and a senior the lead, a, the leader of a very successful finance company mm. you know what what a piece of advice would you give to someone in that who finds himself in that situation um Oh, it's a good question. I, I, I think just just from my own experience, it is very quickly dust dust yourself off and realise that um, you're going to have to work that much harder than others. And the confidence I think you can get as as an 18 year old is that if you if you go in with that mindset and you spend the next three years, four years, you know, really giving it absolutely everything. Actually, by the time you get to 21, 22, my experience in work even now, you're probably going to be ahead of a lot of your previous peers at school. Um, and I'm not trying to downplay university at all. It's not for me to judge because part of me still wishes I had done that. And, and I, eventually I did go, but much, much later on. But I think as an 18-year-old, um, if you haven't done very well at school, kind of take that as... I, I almost felt a little bit like I wanted to put two fingers up to I don't know who because there was no one particularly that was oh my god you've been a what a disaster school it's almost to myself it was almost that proving it to myself that um okay you've not done very well at school you come out with it was two e's I got at a level uh which is a bit of a disaster by any stretch um but I knew I was bright I knew I was good and I just knew that you know if you're an 18 year old coming out without much by way of qualifications it's, it's absolutely um, not too late or not not a dreadful thing in terms of the career overall you know when I, when I listen to and you know you hear about a lot of entrepreneurs and I'm not, I don't claim to be one at all but a lot of very successful people actually it's the sometimes it's something like that in their life that triggers it so a lot of people you know you hear lots of stories people at 16 years old leaving school with no qualifications and they're more successful than anyone else that was in their year group I think sometimes when you get that um you know that tough moment it just pushes you on to be better at everything else soon after oh, yeah i'd agree with that like my own you know i think a lot of the adversity that i've experienced in life has built built a lot of character and built mm. a lot of resilience that 
the sort of character and resilience that you need to be successful in business and a, a successful entrepreneur. So that sort of makes makes perfect mm. sense to me. Mm. Um, so, DZ, I think um, you know your experiences are really interesting, um, but and, and obviously the the part of being a school leaver, leaving without any qualifications, it hasn't necessarily meant that you're not interested in personal development. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you went to university a bit later or you took sort of more formal education a bit later on. Yeah. Um, talk, talk us through your thought process around that and, you know, why, you know, what prompted you to do it and, and some of the benefits you've got from it. Yeah, so I, um, in terms of qualifications thereafter, so I did, I did my CMAP early because uh, that was kind of a, a thing to do. And, and what's CMAP for those that don't know oh, what the, it is? Do you know, I, the, analogy, uh, the acronym is the Certificate of Mortgage Advice is what it basically is. Okay. A qualified mortgage advisor. Not that I ever. It's it's essentially a, a qualification that you need to have to be a mortgage broker. Exactly essentially. that. Yes. And there was a time when I it was when I was at the building society that everyone had to do it, and I'm glad I got it out out of the way per mm-hmm. se. It's still something, and it's actually very useful as ever with the qualifications. How much practical you should get, I don't know, but it's a good badge of honour in the mortgage world, and um, well, well worth getting. Uh, then. Eventually, so when I was 20, God, 28, 29, I must have been, um, I'd always, I think I'd had, maybe I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder when it came to education because I, um, I knew I was bright. I never had that degree. I'd worked, so my career then took me into a variety of sales jobs. I was a BDM uh, or an RM, so salesperson out on the road, both at the Chelsea and then latterly at Octopus. And I, particularly Octopus, I think I just started to meet a lot of people who were from a more educated background. And maybe I felt slightly that I needed to prove myself a little bit more. Um, I felt I'd reached something of a glass ceiling, um, probably self-inflicted actually, because in reality, I don't know if I actually had, but that was something. And I just kind of felt I felt ready to learn again and there's an element of I do think education's wasted on the youth um, because actually when you are young you don't necessarily want to learn and I got to that point where I was like actually I want to do it so I started looking up what to do um, and I, I looked at an MBA course I didn't know what an MBA was before I started looking at it I chanced, kind of chanced upon it I applied to a couple of universities that declined me on the basis that I didn't have a um a degree, which is what most of them asked for. Uh, found one that did accept me uh, into doing it. I had a very supportive. And who is that? So, was, so we can give them a little shout out. Yeah, so it was Manchester Business School that um, uh, took me on, uh, and I started commenced their MBA program. Just so I had my daughter at that point. She would have been one and a half, two. Uh, we were pregnant with my second child, so it was a very full-on time of life. So um, it was part a part-time course, I presume. Yeah, yeah part-time course uh, could be done anywhere between between two and a half and four years was the the bracket it gave. I went in there thinking I want to get it done quickly, not just through virtue of getting it done quickly, but I thought this I'm more likely to get get this through and get it done. And I remember some ghastly mornings. You know, I was up at four a.m. on a Saturday, so I'd have three hours of of work 
Um, it was international course, so I, I studied um, in Miami at one point and in Dubai. So it was, it was wow. pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, anyone who says it, I was nine days in Miami is a cool thing to do, but you were learning kind of throughout all of it. And um, yeah, so I, I that was kind of my thinking behind it. Uh, what did I learn from it? It was probably the first time actually, so this is going back now, eight years ago, eight, nine years, if memory serves me correctly. It was, it was at Octopus when I did it. Yeah, because, um, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, because I think mm. it, I, what I'm interested to know is, yeah, the, the academic benefits, of course, mm. but I'm also really interested in the like the intangible stuff yeah. that you get from it. Yeah, and do you know what? It was the intangible, it was the biggest thing from it. I, I remember walking into that, and I'm quite an outwardly um, confident person. People would look at me and think, oh, yeah, DZ, he's confident. Mm. He, you know, he got a super belief in himself. And that's true to a point, but I've never questioned myself more than the first morning of that MBA, thinking I was going to walk in and kind of be found out a mm. little bit. An element of guess, imposter syndrome yeah. was very much, and it's something I've always really had there, actually, throughout my career. Um, but then it was at its height, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't belong. Like, I'm going to intellectual heavyweights galore how am I going to kind of survive this and really within the first month of, of working with these people it just gave me the confidence that actually I'm better than I thought maybe and people are just people and what I'd learned working for 10-12 years by that point uh, it's put me in really good stead and a, a lot of the MBA course whilst I learned new things undoubtedly um, a lot of it was just I guess confirmation of what I already yeah. knew and it was it, I loved it I have to say it was brilliant it gave me so much confidence um, and it, whether or not it directly linked to my subsequent promotions into what I class more senior roles I don't know I, I'll never know the answer to this could I have still done those jobs without the MBA maybe so but I definitely think it just gave me that confidence no I could um, I, I'd, I'd use a different word I've known you I think probably six years so mm. probably just at the back end of your MBA if not you'd already finished yeah, it just after yes I yeah. would always classify you as someone who's a very polished individual mm-hmm. and, and and that's why that's probably the expression I would use which is polish yeah, and I think you had a real you know you've got a real polish to you do you presumably if I'd known you if I'd met you before that mm. would you have you probably wouldn't have had the same level of polish no probably not actually probably not and I, I would have uh, definitely had a that that imposter syndrome might well have still been there a little bit more yeah. when it came to dealing with more senior people, be it in industry or um, or otherwise. I definitely think that polished part of it it did it helped round me off. Um, and yeah, I'd like to think I'm more polished as a, as a result today. Still, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, look, what you're a business leader now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're running a successful finance company. Um, you know, what what's the biggest challenge? You know, sort of on a day to day basis that you experience um, as a as a sort of business owner and business leader. So, I guess coming back again to that uh, element of self doubt that that's probably still the single biggest challenge I find as a business so it's a leader. it's a per, it's more of a personal it's thing. more of a personal thing. I I. I'd like to think I know what's what the right answer is in most situations. Um, however, I think as a business owner slash business leader, you naturally um, question yourself that much more. And I think on a on a day to day basis, something that you you do. 
the challenge is, of course, they're not being hamstrung by that mm. questioning yourself and having that confidence to, um, you know, still move forward. And I think about, you know, when I when I work with um, senior guys that I work with today, one of my big my big learnings I've had over the years is the ability to disagree and commit. And you know, sometimes I do disagree with people, and we'll all, we'll land somewhere slightly different, but. As a collective and as the leader, you need to be the one who can say, "Okay, well, look, we've all got different opinions here, um, but it's the collective feels like we should do this, even though we don't all agree with it." And sometimes it's me not agreeing with it. Actually, I'm going to commit to this fully, mm. and we'll we'll crack on. I think that businesses often will have people that you'll have you'll have differing agendas, and it will kind of stop things happening um, as a business uh, as a result. The other challenges, I mean, the obvious ones are, of course, you know, the, the, the economic situation that we're in. Um, yeah, so I'm going to get onto that. I was going to get onto that now because I think mm. what, you know, you know, aside from the sort of the day to day, looking at the biggest challenges facing mm. you, at least from a business perspective, mm-hmm. uh, over the next 18 months. And yeah, mm. I suppose yeah, you, that probably feeds into what you were going to say on the macro side. Yeah, it does, undoubtedly. So we are... You know, we're heading into a into a tricky economic time. No, no two ways about it. Um, some people have said before that. In fact, my wife says this to me sometimes that I'm sometimes too positive when it comes to this sort of thing. But there are opportunity, genuinely opportunities that will come as a result of it being a bit tough. So think about the industry I work in specifically. You know, specialist property finance. Um, Arguably, there shouldn't be much need for specialist property finance when everything is going really well and everything's going up and everything's stable because it's really hard, I think, to you know differentiate yourself from the rest of the market. We, I think, as an industry, were born out of tough times and I, I do see the next 18 months is, is going to be challenging but in a way that will, in the long term, benefit up my business today because when it when things get tough it's the mainstream that tend to suffer first and they'll pull back more and there are still at the heart of it customers borrowers in our case that's people borrowing money or brokers who who deal with the borrowers of money they still need solutions to make things happen um and that's i think where we come into it undoubtedly but there will be the, the, the whole industry that will will feel challenges i think that you know house prices will likely soften i don't think they'll collapse i think there'll be a softening of house prices that just naturally mean if you're in the lending business the loans you're making or have made will be harder to potentially repay because it's a housing market that's softening yeah i, I guess you know you've you face two different challenges um in you know in in your your business mm. which is the first is the the performance of the loans that you've already got mm. um which I guess is, you know, sort of the first priority and the second priority is is actually writing new business because mm. if you don't write new business, you're going to need, you're going to have, um, uh, you're not going to have many loans to manage. You won't make yeah. much money going forwards. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you manage your emotions when you know obviously volume the volumes of new business are mm-hmm. going to come under a lot of pressure because the customer demand is going to be reduced. You know if you're mm. If you're if you're a buy to if you normally if you're a buy to let refurbishment mm-hmm. developer or a house builder, mm-hmm. um, it's probably not looking like the most appealing time to to do business, mm-hmm. uh, or it might not. Uh, obviously, there's exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you manage your emotions 
as a you know as a business leader of, of a company that um, obviously needs needs to write new business, yeah. but also mustn't write such bad business that you're out of business in yeah. in the future how do you manage the emotions around that yeah that's almost the i guess if you were to summarize your my job spec in <laughs> uh two lines that's pretty much what it is um also on a, on a personal level i'm let's say as you see from my what my experience looks like three quarters of my working career has been sales of front-ended yeah. origination so I think my natural inclination would be, okay, well, we've got to sell. That's what we've got to do more of. The The latter part of my career so far has been more, I guess, credit-focused in terms of what my role has been. And I probably overcompensate for you know, where my experience has been before. So I know naturally I'm sales, so I probably put a bit more effort into the credit side of things to ensure that that balances out. I don't think there's one... There's one real answer, uh, one correct answer to cover that, Michael. I think the key will always be our, in our world, are we lending to good quality borrowers on good quality schemes that make sense? And I think if you're doing those three things, because actually you can do, you can get those three things wrong when the property market, you know, is in a much, is in ruder health and is going, is going flying through the roof. Um, if you get those three things wrong, no matter what's happening, you'll, you'll, you'll fail. So I think as long as we continue to do those three, we will continue to write enough good quality business. Um, but the key is not to be scared of your own shadow because there's one train of thought that would say, we'll just stop, we'll just stop now. But actually, what's the point of us even existing if we were to stop now? Because this is exactly the time where we are needed, I think, more than ever. But that doesn't necessarily mean we end up writing a load of bad loans that, as you say, mean we're not here in two years' time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think you know very interesting insights. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just moving away from business for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're obviously a very disciplined individual. You know, determined. Um, you know, what are the positive habits that you you engage in that support your lifestyle and well being? Um, so I think I've been I've been through something of a midlife crisis the last probably three or four years uh, in that respect. Uh, so the, the positive stuff to do. So I, I tried. Um, I don't drink much anymore. So I think naturally being in sales is something that leads to alcohol. Um, it seems to be quite on trend. Actually, I read LinkedIn or others. It's quite a, quite a popular thing now to not drink as much. So that's definitely something I've tried to I've tried to do. Um, I just can't cope with it like I used to be able to in my in my youth. Um, if there's a fad to be had, I generally get involved. So when the Peloton went mad, I got the Peloton. Um, when meditation became kind of on vogue, I got into meditation. Um, when intermittent fasting became a thing, I got into that. When general fitness became a bit more accessible, I got into that. But what I tend to do, um, I say fad, I'll, I'll tend to stick with it. So, you know, on a daily, if I think about my, my usual week, um, I'll meditate at least five times. I will work out at least twice, I tend to do. Um, and one of my rules has generally been, I'm not a fan of kind of the 5am club type mindset um, only because I find that a little bit too rigid but generally speaking I'll one of my rules of life I always get somewhere 10 minutes before I should be there I tend to get up one hour before I probably should because um, I find if you're doing that naturally you'll be and you, you put that time to good use you'll get ahead in all of those different things 
Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I genuinely try and eat really well. I, um, my sleep's not the best, and I have some bad habits there still. Um, but overall, um, I'd like to think I'm, I live a quite well balanced lifestyle. And de- definitely, if I look back in my about ten years, well, yeah, probably around my late twenties, early thirties, um, when I didn't used to make as many good decisions, de- I definitely found I had a negative impact on my mental and physical well-being, uh, which I now try and avoid. In terms of your meditation, do you use any apps for that, or is that, or is that something that you just you you just do on your own? No, I do use the apps. So I have been through them all. Um, I started with Headspace, and I did that for about three years. So I first started meditation actually as a way of. Um, uh, I used to suffer quite badly from um, panic attacks and anxiety. Was something in my early thirties was something that afflicted me, um, and at the time it was it's quite common now actually. And it's quite it's okay to talk about it, I guess, but at the time. It, probably wasn't um, and that's how I first found meditation actually was some, as a as a direct right how do I stop that happening um, and I've just managed to keep it on so Peloton is my now medita- meditation uh, meditative um, place of choice oh so you, okay so through through the Peloton app basically yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay because yeah. I yeah I think I know that they now offer that yeah so you on the train that's what I do in the morning yeah okay yeah that's <clears throat> I've certainly used to do something very similar I used calm but I'd always use I'd always use the first 10 minutes of my commute and used and I do the daily calm yeah and I think I actually once managed to get a streak of about 218 straight days of meditating uh, which were but and then yeah then my my calm app logged me out or something and I lost all my data so uh, <laughs> I, I don't have that streak anymore yeah uh, or there's no record of it no so, record. so yeah. no, so clearly never happened yeah. Um in just let's and then in terms of working out so you're working out is that is your workout the peloton then is that yeah i'll tend to go peloton so i um on a a friday morning i get up at 5 30 on a saturday i get up at six and on a sunday i get up at 6 30 so i've staggered over yeah um, and i'll work out yeah they will be my three days but i i try and go for it i've 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 try now not to be as um i guess attempting the alpha male pushing it as much as I can because I just find I get injured and hurt much quicker than I ever did <laughs> well yeah I mean my experience that um, there's there's always someone fitter than you there's always mm. you know uh, you know as a pretty keen cyclist um, yeah. uh, or just I think we're similarly minded I think we're both quite competitive individuals yeah I think you realise that you know and there's a ceiling to your ability to what you can do yeah. and once you know and I think unless and the only way for you to go past that ceiling is to devote yourself to it so aggressively yeah. that you would couldn't be a successful husband parent yeah. or business person that yeah. you are yeah. so um, and, and, that, balance. and then you, and then I think you tend to start to sort of chill out from that so mm. Mm. Uh, I can definitely associate with that and mm. um, I just want to touch on the alcohol point because actually it's something that resonates with me at the moment I'm increasingly have, uh, starting to Reevaluate my relationship with alcohol, and to be honest with you, um, it's never been particularly good. My mm. relationship with alcohol, um, although um, you know, certainly I, I, I like you, have experienced a lot of, um, but you know, the, a lot of the benefits of, of, mm. of alcoholic consumption in terms of the building of the network and the building mm. of the relationships. Mm. Um, how do you see? I mean, I think it's quite specific to the property and the property finance world that, you know, historically it's always been about, you know, the lash up and, you know, the big yeah. party and, you know, everything, you know, a lot, pretty much all social revolves around alcohol. Mm. 
but there are you know particularly as we go into a more inclusive society certainly there are you know the statistics that I'm reading that I think something like a quarter of adults under the age of 24 had never consumed alcohol or don't drink alcohol mm. um, how do we start to make uh, how do we start to make things more inclusive mm. you know how, how we more, how, how do we have a more inclusive industry from a you know in terms of social um, what are your thoughts around that how, how do we how do we achieve that because I think for me I mean selfishly it would really suit me to mm. start to start to tail back the the sort of the, the alcohol mm. involvement in mm-hmm. in social events um, but how do you think we achieve that? And maybe there's no answer to it. I, yeah, it, uh, I really don't. I really don't know. I think it. I think it will just happen naturally as probably more and more or fewer and fewer people feel the need to to do that. I think, um, and I totally agree. So I, you and I are of a similar generation. You know, the first thing we did at sixteen was if you, someone who you made could get drink from the off license then you'd be down the park or similar around a fat you know um house parties where you'd raid the the little beer the, the yeah. dad's beers all of that so we just kind of grew up with that being a thing so it's interesting your stat there i didn't realize it was quite that high that i'd like to think the generation coming through just don't have that same mm. mindset as probably we did back then um and don't get me wrong if i'm honest the only time I do really drink now is work mm. so that's my so it's, it's almost my because it's not like I've gone completely Tito I, I still quite enjoy drinking but I only <laughs> now do it with, with work and maybe part of that is to do with that you know an element of the expectation mm. of that's what what you do um, it, it's not so much the drinking that you don't enjoy it's the it's the consequences and the after effects yeah. of, of, yes. of it and yeah. I think you know obviously we're the same age so mm. You, you know, as, as you get older, it starts to you know you, mm. you start to experience it more negatively as as as, yeah. as, as time goes by. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly think that I, I'm certainly of the view that I probably will only drink something like once a month. By the time you know, in, by the time I'm fifty, I probably mm. only drink once a month. And mm. um, certainly, there are lots of big health benefits as you grow older that, yeah. that come with that. And yeah. and I and I know and and from our private discussions, you know, I know mm. that you sort of have a similar mindset. Mm. Yeah, I think it's um, that's exactly that. It's the it's the is the reward worth the pain the, the next day? Yeah, and that, that's the, that's the, the bit that I've just noticed has massively changed, and it is part of being a dad and being in a job that is. Um, you know I've got a lot of responsibility and it just really boils down to the fact I won't perform in those two key facets of my life and probably I throw without sounding cheesy but like husband in there as well like there's nothing worse than waking up on a Sunday morning and I mean I don't feel at my best because I don't find I've got time similarly I'd be exactly the same on a you know on a God, the thought of drinking on a Sunday evening now would terrify me the thought of coming into work on a Monday with not being at my best would just be enough so yeah I'd love to say there's a way to fix it I think I do think naturally this industry is getting better when it comes to um, the inclusivity point and the other challenge I ask myself and I probably ask you as well Michael is sometimes you assume that you'd feel weird being somewhere not drinking but the reality when you do go to an event and not drink it doesn't it's not as weird as you probably mm. thought it was going to be um that's the thing I always still struggle with in my mind. Yeah, uh, I, I, having been just at a, an event over the weekend of a 40th birthday party, and I, you know, consciously went out of my way. It was like an all-day thing, and I mm. went out of my way not to have any alcohol until at least until the evening, the dinner in the mm. evening at seven mm. o'clock. 
obviously I was was alone. I wasn't I was wasn't alone, but I was in the minority of people mm. doing that. Um, but what was quite good is there were activities and games and things mm. going on. And I think that you know things that were quite icebreakery. Yeah. Um, that that meant you didn't really you know you weren't mm. you know you weren't really thinking about the drinking part of it. Mm. Mm. Um, anyway, let, yeah. let just moving back to you and uh, moving back to you in terms of your sort of you know your 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 experiences and your qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your superpower why do people you know why do people want to work with you over others or, or do business with you over others um, I I think that it's, this is actual feedback I've had because I'm always wary of answering a question like this and bigging myself up too much coming across in the wrong way but generally I find that people who've worked with me and for me will give me much more than they do others um you know i I do i'd like i always one of my efforts is always to build a team that would literally run through a brick wall for me and wherever company i am at that particular time i think i'd like to think kind of my superpowers there i'm very good at reading people um as i say i think one of the one of the advantages i have of my background is that i can interact with a whole suite of different educational types of different demographics um, and as a result of that I'm quite good at understanding quite quickly what makes people tick um, I'm really seriously honest um, and I'd like to think one of the other big things for me is that I I've learned to become but my very very humble and admitting when I don't know something I don't try and blag um, and I like they're, they're kind of that that is a combination uh, whether it's a superpower, I don't know, but th- that's that's the effect of it. Is generally speaking, that's what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd probably highlight that you've got very good EQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's incredible. I think EQ, most of the time, particularly in uh, particularly in commercial roles, mm-hmm. is often way more valuable than IQ. Yeah. Um, and so I think maybe that you know that kind of it, mm-hmm. you know that feeds into it is 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 that quality of EQ that you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, what people or past events? inspire you and kind of give you motivation to succeed so part past events and it's undoubtedly that they started with the with we were talked about it at great length but one of my education we're original educational background um i the, the sort of chip on your, the chip, the on, my chip shoulder, on your shoulder the, yeah. right i've got something to prove that i think that 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 shaped so much of what then happened in my in my life now um becoming a husband and a dad quite early uh, definitely had an impact as well so um, look, I had a great upbringing I didn't want for anything but I always wanted to I guess provide my kids you know every parent does they want their kids to have more than what they did and that's that's definitely shaped kind of what I have done with my working career um, I don't really buy myself much people who work with me you know, will take take the mick because they'll say I seldom buy myself new clothes. You know, I'll go to TM Lewin and Charles Tirrett. That's pretty much me done. And then once a year, when my clothes are falling to pieces, I'll buy myself stuff. I, I don't have a, you know, nothing against this. Really haven't. But fancy watches, all of that. I don't do all of that. The the thing that drives me is is the providing more and more for the kids. Like we tended to go on holidays over the years that we shouldn't really have gone on, but that I'd rather spend my money on stuff like that that the, that the kids enjoy than than probably myself and my, and my wife as well um, so the experiences giving, experiences, them, giving them experiences yeah, that, yeah. exactly and we, we have an argument every year me, me and my wife because I say don't buy them a load of old crap 
and we end up doing it as we mm. do but there's just no point that's not what they want for um, and quite selfishly I, I put more value on experiences than I do on, on anything else well you know things you think you can lose things you, you can lose things things can break you know yeah. uh, you know individual items but mm. um, the experiences you know invariably stay with you forever so yeah. I, I, I I can certainly um, I can certainly associate with that mm. um, do you you know, you, you talk about you know giving giving your kids experiences that maybe they um, you know that you know you're sort of almost beyond your own means as you as you ex- express mm. it. And uh, I, I I I'm interested in that for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I think actually what I like about what I, I often like about going and staying in hotels that that are probably nicer than even the home I live in, or staying mm. staying in a villa that I, the nicer than my own home, or at least in the past, is it sort of it gives you that further fuel to succeed because like okay this is something you know yeah. this is something I could have in the future yeah. Yeah, do right. you think but do you think that there's do you worry about spoiling your kids giving them giving them things that are, that are so nice and then they sort mm-hmm. of get become accustomed to it and yeah. then um, you know because if you're anything like me I'm fully expecting to be like right you're 21 now you've just yeah. finished formal education or whatever yeah. um, you're on your own you're not on your own completely but mm-hmm. like I expect you to you know, provide work work for a living, and you know, make yeah. your own money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you'll be looked after. Don't worry. But yeah. you know, you you know, you, you you're not going to be a trust fund baby. Yeah. Um, do you, you know how do you feel about you know spoiling your kids and mm. you know making sure that they've got the right um, attitude to life and work? Mm. I do. I, I haven't. I haven't nailed this one down yet. Undoubtedly. So um, I've got three children. Um, my and I, I feel like I'm getting progressively better <laughs> as we go with all of them. So probably my youngest. They don't. I, come, they don't come with the manual. Do you no, say, they so. don't. No, my youngest. I'm probably the harshest on. Um, Interesting. And okay. he'll probably come out the, you know, the best prepared for that and and grabs you up. But the do I worry about? Yeah, I do. There is a part of me, and there are there are times where we've flown somewhere or you know gone to a certain type of hotel, and. We, me, me and my wife are both from very similar demographic backgrounds. We kind of lived very similar childhoods and enjoyed the same sorts of holidays, things like that. Um, there was a moment when, and it was about five years ago, where we went on one particular holiday, which was which was phenomenal, and it was a far-flung, exotic place for a, my best mate's wedding, and it was it was wonderful. And six months later, we went somewhere else really good. It's the only year we've ever done something like that. And actually, we didn't really appreciate that. And it was a moment where we, me and me and Louise sat, sat down and said to each other, "Actually, we, we've got to get better because we just went on a holiday that some you know, some people would only dream of going on." And I felt like we never really appreciated it. And I was worried that the kids felt similar, like that was how they were. Um, and actually, the, I've, what I have learned though, the kids don't act. I don't know if it's true of all children, but my children probably don't care too much where they go on holiday. It's more for my own maybe ego that I've gone to that sort of nicer place. Um, you know, they'd be quite happy wherever they go. They're generally quite happy because mm. it's on a holiday of some description. I, I've, yeah, um, that makes sense. And me. I do have to remind myself of that sometimes. And COVID, I guess you know, kind of made that forced that home a little bit where you couldn't and we went over UK went to the Isle of Wight for example last year and it was a wonderful day like a really great great day and I thought that's just as good as it would have been going to wherever we would have gone at a fraction of the price um, so the, the other thing with, with kind of making sure the children so we just started I did this like Go Henry um, for all three of my kids that's how they get their pocket money they've got their bank cards and everything my daughter who's a bit of a spend um 
spender basically she just continually she, she considers it I think a target each week to spend <laughs> money and fall. Um, whereas my boys pair of them have, have opened their own ices which I I never did I don't think I've got much one to speak of now and they're fascinated by this prospect of saving so as I say I, I, how I naturally got a bit better as we've gone I don't know if it's accident or um, it's kind of done on purpose but they, they seem to be approaching money differently to what they would have done before it's, that's that's fascinating I'm, I'm sure there's some uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some fun managers that are probably going to be in, the, in touch and they'll be getting, yes, yeah. getting, getting, getting them lined up for the grad scheme yeah, in, in a few years time so. yeah yeah. but it is interesting I think with children generally that's the one thing like, across education I would say getting on my high horse but how we don't teach children at school the realities of finance when you come to leave school is beyond me um, like no one taught me about a direct debit or you just kind of learn by doing when you get to 18 that's something we should absolutely at a very young age I think be teaching the children yeah I agree I think you're not the first person that I've heard that from you know it certainly needs to be more life skills taught in mm. schools no question yeah um, speaking of knowledge and experience mm. um, I'm going to pose you with a theoretical question it's a kind of red pill blue pill question mm-hmm. if you've got to if you had to choose between being given all the knowledge and experience you have now, aged forty. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, now you are now you are now forty. Yeah. If I was to give you all that knowledge and experience, aged ten, or twenty-five million pounds, aged twenty-five, which option would you choose and why? Um, I feel like the right answer, if there's such a thing, I know you're not asking that, would be the knowledge and such as a ten-year-old, but. No, I, I think I'd, t- I'd take the money. Okay. Um, All right. You've got to justify I, that now. I and I tell you for why. And I've got because I've got a ten-year-old uh, at the minute. So I think about my ten-year-old. One of the great things I think about being a kid is you're not burdened with too much knowledge and too much um, too many rules and kind of it's all you've still got that element where the whole world is free. Um, so as a result of that, I, I would hate the thought of being 10 and knowing too much. Actually, I'd quite like the thought of being a bit more innocent. And because um, once you get to 18 and beyond, or 21, wherever you go out into the world of work, that's when everything massively changes. So yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I'd take the money. Okay. Uh, I think that's a really good answer and not the probably not the answer I would expect. Certainly wouldn't be my answer it, w- it wouldn't have wouldn't have been my answer but actually what you said has changed maybe my my approach to it because i think that the loss of innocence mm. is is really key i think if i would say if i was to pose that to you and i'd give you all that knowledge and experience mm. aged 18 yep. maybe you take i think i go maybe out, maybe I, you I take you take the knowledge and experience 18 would absolutely yeah. be a different answer i just yeah i it would i think um some of my fondest memories i think well just whatever you remember of being a kid it's, it's just great fun um, and I suppose the other thing as well is that the world you know will continue to be different so if I was 10 years old knowing all this stuff would that maybe make me too blinkered with what the reality because the world moves so quick eight years later when I'm ready to use that um, but yeah no, it's, t- it's a tough tough question definitely mm. right love, I love that bit of an out there question mm-hmm. um What's something that you believe that other people think is insane or unusual? Um, quite, I'm quite dull like that. I okay. tell you one, <laughs> one thing. One thing that resonated with me, and it is 
Based on some of the WhatsApps I've seen, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it, it, those who know me will know my, my thoughts when it comes to football, for example. It's um, slightly blinkered, to say the least, when it comes to Arsenal. I've not mentioned yet. I've done well to not mention Arsenal. Oh, you so, have, so you far. have. So uh, that's something. Um, I would, I honestly believe, so this is me going a bit deep, and I apologise, but I think that we are heading in the next generation um, to a period where... I'd, I'd like to think that in 50 years, people will be aware and be meditating and be aware of mindfulness as much as they are they're going to the gym or brushing their teeth. That was one thing. One thing that stuck with me when it comes to getting in physical shape, if you consider doing exercise in the same way as you clean your teeth, you just do it every day. It's second nature. Why wouldn't you? I think the same comes from that kind of consciousness piece. I think that's where, okay, that's quite hippie and deep for me. I realise that. But I do honestly believe that having seen the benefit of it, um, there seems to be a movement towards that happening more and more. That's interesting. I guess that that would need, I guess that would need to be embraced by the sort of the wider, wider sort of educational mm. movement and, mm. um, and wider society. And it's certainly not outside the realms of possibility. Mm. Um, probably, you know, whether it's in or the time, your timeline, might be uh, might be stretched out a little bit, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, what what are some common misconceptions about you? Um, I mean, we talk about the um, we talk about your some of your WhatsApps and and your and your bravado when it comes to um, when it comes to the the outcome of football matches and <laughs> uh, and or uh, league seasons. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I like you. I'm a a long suffering Arsenal Arsenal supporter as well, mm-hmm. uh, but I. I'd like to think, based on some of the WhatsApps that we've exchanged, that, uh, or at least I've been privy to, that I'm maybe a bit more a realistic supporter than you are. But yeah, what are what, what? But that aside, mm. sort of the bravado in your football football predictions. What are some yeah. common misconceptions about you? Um, I, I think there. I think maybe sometimes my my bravado. People don't know me very well. Might will sometimes take my bravado and outwardly um, confident as maybe a, an element of, of cockiness and ego. Um, but I like to think that that gets nullified quite quickly when someone gets to know me and realises that I'm quite I'm extremely self-deprecating. That's something I always, I always have been. Um, I mean, my, often a common misconception, just because of my name, that people assume before they've met me I'm far more exotic than I probably am and they meet me and realise that I'm just not um, born and raised in Surrey just with a with a very exotic uh, a very exotic name um, and I, do you know what, I'd, I'd like to think that they're, they're, it's quite superficial but I don't think people generally have too many misconceptions when it comes to me I think that um you feel like what you see is what you get sort of yeah thing. there is an element of that and I don't get me wrong I've never I, I don't adhere to this um, if you don't like it lump it this is this is me I think that's just actually a horrific way to live um, because that's not the reality of life like so in so different social environments um, you need to react slightly differently and you can't always show your full um, you know your full repertoire of who you are in certain scenarios it's not how it not how it works you have to be conscious and wary of how other people feel and might react to things um, but I do think I am quite a quite an open book and I've definitely become that the older I've got and maybe just become more confident and um, 
settled in my own skin, I guess. So I, I think if you've met me for an hour, generally, you probably shouldn't have too many misconceptions about me, I don't think. Okay, that's good. I mean, yeah, I, you know, from my own personal experience, you know, I, I, I'm still not sure. I, not, I'm still not entirely sure. I feel entirely comfortable in my own sti- in, mm. in my own skin, uh, and I think many people will, will feel that way. Mm. Um, and so, it's probably quite a, a good position to be in. And I, and and I know that it, and I imagine it's come from a lot of work mm. that you that you can feel that ability to. To be truly authentic, to be your authentic self, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think that some of your your experiences growing up um, kind of have enab- enabled you to to feel to be that way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there any particular events that maybe have brought that about? You know, some of the things we obviously we discussed previously. Um, yeah, I think. I th- it definitely helps that if I think about my, my life outside of work and outside of family actually so my my group of friends today are the same group of friends predominantly I had when I was 13, 14 so I guess I've always had that grounding that I'm very fortunate my mates from school were, I know a lot of people you, you tend to make your best friends at university for example because I didn't have the benefit of that and um, as a result I was very fortunate that my mates were my mates and they always have been so there's I always kind of have that persona to go back to whenever mm. I see them. It's quite, it's quite grounding. It's very grounding, it is. And they're all very successful in their own in their own ways and different different careers and everything. Um, I think that's probably the, the single biggest one. And then the other one, I, I genuinely my you know, if I look at my home life is very grounding as well. You know, I was very fortunate um, you know, to meet my wife at a relatively young age compared to what a lot do and you know, it's actually it's my wedding anniversary today. Um, it's fourteen years now, and it's like it's flown by. Um, I find that extremely grounding as well. Well, congratulations to you and commiserations to Louise. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she, she, I just I just about remembered as I was leaving the house this morning, um, and I, I I did remind her. <laughs> neither of us are particularly good when it comes to this kind of thing, which is actually quite a good thing because neither of us are ex- too expecting of of the other I think well I think that's potentially a very good thing um, if you you know if you sort of treat every day you know if, you, if, you, if I think sometimes a lot of couples uh, and you know and, and I probably can be guilty of this occasionally is that you can you can overly focus on you know the Valentine's Day the wedding anniversary mm. and then maybe not put the effort into the mm. into the you know the you know the, the the regular Tuesday night. You know, yeah, you know, that, that's the, the slow Tuesday, the, yes. uh, the kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think yeah. that if as long, as long as you're dealing, with, you, you address the slow Tuesday, and every slow Tuesday is mm. you know is 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 absolutely peak slow Tuesday. Yeah, uh, it probably is a on on average probably much better than um, going all out two days yeah. of the year and the rest of it being you know a bit of a bit miserable, a bit miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so true, I, I I can't I can't argue with that. Um, if, I, if I forget a present, I'll, I'll remind her of that then. Uh, Louise, don't. This is. It's not my fault. Honestly, I'm. I'm taking no. I'm taking no responsibility for that. Um, okay, uh, let's let's talk about some of your key personal values, just both for business and for life more generally. I mean, I guess business life they're pretty interchangeable when it comes yeah. to to, to keep, you know sort of um, key personal values. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are completely. I. I uh, who I am at work is ninety nine percent of who I am outside. It, it must be quite exhausting. I always think for people to try and live two different personalities um, and yeah I'm, it's kind of they are interchangeable things I look for 
and I like to judge myself on um, it's, uh, humility is, is probably the, the first one I would say uh, it's one of the things I look for people I work with or I look to, to hire um, the ability to you know admit when you get something wrong and to know when you to know to know what you don't know actually I think is a really important thing because it means that you can find other ways to fight fill those holes whatever it might look like um, so being being humble being humble absolutely honesty is the other one as well um, I just yeah it's massively important to me that I can trust and trust generally comes from if I think someone is always honest and I'm always honest with someone for me that trust is generally going to mm. going to be there so I guess integrity is integrity, part of that yeah yeah massively part of that um, I do find myself uh, I naturally gravitate towards I guess more hard hard-working people um, I don't have a lot of time for you know oh, it's so it's so unfair and I can't believe that this that's one thing I try and really instill in my children at a very young age but you know what it's not unfair this will happen there will always be challenges but you've got to you've got to just work work that much harder if something knocks you back then actually work twice as hard to then overcome it. I think that, and I find I naturally gravitate towards people who share that that type of mindset. Yeah, and my experience, my experience is that you know resilience uh, is is absolutely key. Obviously, you're you come from a sales background, and so you need to be incredibly resilient because you're constantly being told no. Yep. And um, you know, and and I think you need to just you know it's that kind of that. You know, to quote Chumbawamba, you know, I get down, I get, and I get back up again. I certainly am. Uh, well, there's World Cup coming up as well, so yeah, you know, yeah, uh, there's, yeah. there's there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's there's an angle there. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I agree with that, and yeah. um, I think I think you and you know, obviously, we know each other quite well, so we share a lot of shared, you know, shared personal values, mm-hmm. and so I, I think a lot of those resonate with me. Um, okay, and I suppose outside of work, how do you like to spend your time? Um, you know, this is this being uh, this this conversation not just being about work, but also about lifestyle. Yes, I've, I've come up a lot of it. I mean, my, my my passion outside of of work, family is Arsenal. It is um, so that that's a huge part of my life, and I don't go as often as I'd like. I do try and get up when I can, but um, that's a big part of it. And then, really, it is it's if I think about my spare time. So I manage my son's football team, uh, which is great fun a good little uh, good little bunch of lads as, as a competitive as an incredibly hyper competitive individual as mm. I know you and also knowing that your son's football team maybe isn't the strongest team in the Surrey League yeah how yeah. do you you know how, how do you sort of handle that you know the sort of dichotomy of being a high performance individual and also not necessarily Let's just say you wouldn't, if you could choose all the players in Surrey, would you choose that? You, yeah, you know, yeah, we're having yeah. a big group of players that you wouldn't necessarily choose. How how do you manage? How do you how, how do you manage those emotions that, that come I, with that? Um, do you know what? We, weirdly, I I've learned very quickly with it, and I've only been doing it for just over a season and a half now. Um, it, my traditional rules, and maybe it's part of me growing up in life kind of get thrown out the window a little bit so remember the first few games when we if we got beat I was in a right old mood and I was in a, and I was like do you know what get over yourself the kids aren't bothered actually they're quite happy learning and doing what they do so I naturally I have I've just softened maybe it's a part of getting old I don't know but I it, it, it's not so it, it goes from right it's win at all costs to if they're enjoying themselves and getting better 
then I've kind of won. Um, although saying that, there was a parent the other weekend who, after our fifth defeat on the spin, I think it was at the time, made a joke about the chairman wanting to see me on the Monday. And I laughed, but inside, it hurt. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, so there is still, this, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Um, and then, look, look, I said, my, my, generally, my family is where I spend yeah. my spare time. So um, it is that that dominates my life. And I love the fact that it does. Yeah. You, you also play tennis um, and um, we, 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 we are still have an outstanding um, yeah. tennis match that we need to, you know, we obviously need to uh, settle the score as to who's, you know, who, who's the top dog on the tennis court. Yeah. Um, tennis is quite an interesting sport. I, I find it, um, I, I find it very, uh, a very useful sport from, mm. in terms of, you know, in terms of the psychological aspect of it, because you're never until the last point is played, you're never out of the game. Mm. But at the same time, um, you know, and but you know, at the same time, you could be riding high, you could be five one up in a set, and you mm. could easily and you can lose the set. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's it, it's personally taught me a lot of things. Um, your you know your your hobbies and mm. your interests outside of business have you know have you learned anything from them? Mm. Um, and applied them to your business life, um, you know, to the better. So I, I would say, um, yes, I have. So on the fitness side of things, uh, I've never been a runner. I could never run. It just wasn't something I ever did. Um, I found that actually, if you just put your head into something, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And I went from running no, 500 meters to a half marathon in, in reasonably short order. And it kind of taught me from work. You know, think about the, the similarities to work. Uh, you know, there's no, you can do that. You can go from not being able to do something to learning it really quickly and doing it, doing it really well. Um, outside of that, my hobbies, I mean, I am gen genuinely inspired by, um, and it tends to be football analogies actually, but sport sporting analogies, particularly football analogies, um, of just what is possible and don't always. So I remember, again, it is Arsenal, but it is gen this is genuine. This is not me just talking my usual nonsense when it comes to it. But you know, when Arsene Wenger first said, um, "I've got a team that can go unbeaten." I think that can be done and he was laughed at people said there's absolutely no way a team and he, and he did it um, and I'm a firm believer uh, I don't know, sporting's part of it I've learned it through training course I'm not sure but it's really stuck with me say something out loud tell people what you're going to go and do no matter how bold and brave and how much ridiculous it might sound you're far more likely to make it happen um, so when we talk about you know, my, my job today we do talk about you know we're going to lend X amount and the number might sound incredible, you know, we want to be the biggest or the best, whatever it might be, but set those goals, massive, massive goals, because if you do that, actually you're halfway there already. And it might sound really simple, but so many people don't say that through fear of looking stupid when it comes to it. Like, I, I better not, I better not say we'll do that because do you know what, if I then fall short, I fall stupid. I, I, don't, don't, I don't believe in that at all. I think setting big, set the goals massive. Sport's a great one for it because that tends to be where uh, it happens outside of work and it can it can be a reality, it can. Yeah, sort of a positive, positive affirmation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I mean, look, I, I, my own experience, I think that um, I've, I've had similar experiences to that. Um, I think when I, I think, just speaking personally, I think where 
it, you've got to, you know, and, I, and I'm sure we've spoken about this before, but I think you kind of have, there's sort of three three zones of development. You've got your comfort zone and there's no growth happens in the comfort zone. Mm. You've got the stretch zone and then you've got the panic zone. The panic zone, you don't tend to see a lot of growth in the panic zone because you've, if you set, let's say you set a, either set a target too, too high or you make something mm. too difficult for someone, people panic and they just completely shut down. So yeah. it's, you know, having, you know, setting targets that, that are, you know, even if they're right at the top end of the stretch zone, which I imagine is kind of where, where you tend to mm. aim, not not something that's so completely ludicrous that mm. everyone just, just gives up the moment yeah, they yeah, start. Yeah. That, you know, that's absolutely the, mm. the, for me, my own personal experience, that's something that I've seen is very effective. Yeah, I'd yeah, agree. Mm. Um, okay, um, so we're sort of uh, winding, winding things down now. Mm. Um, what business or life hack could you share with our listeners in 90 seconds or less? Always be the first there. Or be, be up early, be there five minutes early. So I, all of my watches and my clocks in my house are set to three minutes um, three minutes fast so that I'm always making sure I'm always on time. It's one thing I've always set. Um, I think it sets everything up perfectly if you go and do that. The other one I said, this is, I guess, from being a, being a parent is actually do that fun do that thing with the kids first and do the other stuff that's stopping you do it afterwards if i think about a typical saturday i've got to mow the lawn i've got to um take the bins out i've got to do this that the other and then at some point the kids want to play monopoly what i've learned is actually don't wait to do all of that other stuff first to then do the fun thing at the end you get to that you will actually do that something you want to do first and then deal with the rest of the mundane things after um okay well i, I that that sounds like actually a, a bit of advice i could follow so yeah I'll, I'll i'll certainly pick that up myself uh last question uh what book would you recommend to a listener uh that has had a profound impact on your life so i get i guess firstly full disclosure one of the things i'm 40 now I look back at my life I don't do enough of and haven't done enough of is read um, it's something that in fact you just lent me a book recently which I started reading on the train it's something that I've just never done a lot of so I've not read a whole host of books to give comment on but the one when I thought about this question that still stings through today was and I think it was called Going for Broke um, and it was the story of Nick Leeson and the fall of Bearings Bank which I read when I was about 16 years old. Um, and on a personal level, it, it probably wasn't designed to do this, but it fascinated me to the world of finance. And it was, I don't think it was a, an accident actually that I ended up working in a financial job of some description. But the thing I think it taught me was that it's amazing how wrong businesses can get things based on just the confidence of one person and the ability to bullshit um, if you do it with enough confidence you've got to have controls and such in place that stop that happening um, and it still resonates now that the thought of him you know running up billions of pounds worth of problems for the bank that ultimately collapsed it and actually there was a load of senior people there that should have stopped it but no one had the really the gumption to go actually this doesn't something doesn't quite feel right here um, and then of course you saw what happened happen thereafter yeah well so it's a fascinating story uh and um you know sort of a rise and fall story isn't it and then yeah. uh, and then um you know 
it sort of indirectly ended, it led you to finance, yeah. uh, the world of finance. That thankfully, yes. with, with, that's where the similarities so ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, 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 absolutely. I don't consider. I didn't look at his life and think, "Wow, that's a great thing to do." Um, but it was just incredible how one person, one person, can bring down an entire institution um, just by virtue of the fact that no one was checking it. And it, it, it does ring true. Even in lending, is a great example of that because. You know, it's very easy to get carried away with the moment on a deal or what have you. This one will be okay. This one will be okay. Um, well, one, one of our largest peers uh, disappeared, didn't they? Uh, not too long ago, on yeah. on the back of uh, on the back of uh, essentially everything going through one man. So. Yeah, absolutely. That. So I think it can happen. Um, so that that was the one that stuck with me. And um, yeah, come back to me in ten years' time. I say, is my goal the next ten years is to is to read an awful lot more because I think there's there's loads more to be had we'll, from it. We'll take you up on that. Mm. Dimitri Zapshala or DZ, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story. Mm-hmm.